Government grants continually play a key role in helping processors modernize their plant floor. If you're looking for more information around government grants for the food industry, check out our latest podcast. So clients who've got a good handle on their opportunities and who've thought about a project carefully, even if they pull a quote out at the last minute, they're often also really well prepared for submissions. Hi, I'm Andy. And I'm Joe. And you're listening to the Farm to Fork podcast, brought to you by Carlisle Technology. So today's topic is on government funding for the food industry. The Canadian government has poured a lot of money into the food industry, and we're going to take a closer look into how that's benefited processors. We'll also touch on the U.S. government and what they've done to historically help processors as well. So it's my pleasure to introduce our guest today. We've got Alex Barlow from MentorWorks. Alex, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and the company that you are representing? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. My name is Alex Barlow. I'm a business development executive with MentorWorks Limited. My background is that I have worked historically in government and looking at food and how government incentives can help critical sectors within the Canadian economy, but food being a really key one. And I've been with MentorWorks for the last nine years. Uh, MentorWorks is a management consulting company. We really are grant advisors. We educate business leaders about government funding, primarily here in Canada and every province, and look at what is the government trying to do with different incentives and tools that they're making available to companies, and how can we educate business leaders on that? Because often it's a whole sort of area to try and have to pay attention to. So it can be very challenging for a business leader to add that to their plate. So we keep track of it. We educate them. We do strategic assessments with companies to look at funding and how it might help them with their critical operations and projects for the next three to 24 months. And uh, so we're a team of 22 people, and that's really what we focus on. So we write and complete the submissions when we think that there's a good fit. And we do a lot of work in food and beverage because there is a big focus on the food industry, whether it's agriculture or further processing. And there's a number of programs from both the federal and provincial governments to help companies in those sectors. And there has been for easily the last two decades, with a lot of money being particularly available since about 2012. Awesome. Thank you so much for that introduction, Alex, and happy to have you on the podcast with us today. Can you give us the 30,000-foot view of government funding for the food industry, starting with growing forward agreements? Sure. What happens is every five years since an initial strategy was created called Growing Forward, which would have been done in 2008, the federal and provincial governments come together and they negotiate a framework for supporting agriculture, food and beverage companies. We're actually in the middle of a current agreement that's worth $3 billion called Canadian Agricultural Partnership. And Growing Forward is just a predecessor of that. There was a Growing Forward 1 and 2, and now we're into this Canadian Agricultural Partnership. The name gets changed, but they're always these five-year agreements, and they outline commitments that both, like I said, federal and provincial governments are making to support agriculture and food. And that will include anything from risk insurance programs for farmers to different incentives, grants that help business leaders maybe accelerate some of their investments or help incentivize certain behaviors. So the government's really interested, say, in the adoption of Industry 4.0 and more plant automation. 
And so they've come together and created these five-year agreements. The one we're in the middle of, as I said, is Canadian Agricultural Partnership. It started in 2018 and it ends March 31st of 2023. So $3 billion across Canada. To give you an example, Alberta and Ontario have about uh, $400 million each over that five-year period to distribute under different programs. So there's a lot of different tools and they basically get established every five years with these long-term commitments. And we'll start to see invitations and discussions start to happen for what the new framework should look like that will start in 2023 and likely go out another five years. Do you know why Canada invests so much in the food and agricultural industries? Is there some sort of a benefit or, I mean, obviously they don't do it for no reason at all. The food industry, you know, whether it's agriculture or further processing, has always been identified as a major sector for Canada. So it's a huge employer. It's a major GDP generator and export generator, which are all numbers that the governments look at. They all want to encourage employment and see that growth. And so in particular, what we saw in the last few years, which has really led to a doubling down, so to say, but also just even more funding than I'd say was previously committed was that agri-food was identified by Dominic Barton as part of sort of Canada's growth strategy. It was identified as a key sector of opportunity and a key area for investment and that we were maybe hitting below what we should do in terms of impacts and the performance of our companies in the sector globally but that we had a lot of really strong pillars to build on. And so the focus was then about giving opportunities and funding and incentives to grow Canada's ability on the world stage. We have a lot of abundant natural resources. We've got great post-secondary institutions. We've got a pretty sophisticated Western consumer base. We're right next door to one of the biggest markets in the United States. And we are able to adopt technology. We have a fairly educated workforce. We've got good, reliable access to capital and things like that. So there was a lot of good, positive things coming together there. And then the identification of agri-food as part of that strategy has really, again, just enforced, even in COVID, how important it is to continue to focus investments on the sector. That's part of why there are so many opportunities for food and beverage and agricultural companies today. So you touched a bit about the Canadian market and the obvious importance and need for investment. So can you talk a little bit about the differences you've seen between Canada and the U.S. with providing grants for the food processors? So the U.S., I would say, probably wouldn't indicate that agri-food isn't of critical importance for them as well. So similarly, it's a major employer for them and a critical sector. They do a little bit better, of course, in actually hitting some of the top export goals. And I would say just because of their size, tend to perform better on a lot of the metrics where we were identified as not doing as well. But the U.S. has taken a very different strategy when it comes to supporting business. A lot of their opportunities come in the form of tax credits. 
So they'll often provide tax deferral opportunities if businesses are making investments in technology, in automation, or even for farmers in new farm equipment, for example. And those have been the major sorts of strategies that they've implemented. There are some smaller R&D type grants to work with universities or colleges, but there's not as much of a culture of giving direct subsidies to companies. So we tax more here and then we give taxes back. That's Canada's sort of strategy. We collect the revenue, we dole it out to the 20 or 30 percent of those who put in submissions, who are doing the kind of projects that the government wants to encourage and support, where the United States tends to avoid that tax collection to start with. So they do a lot of, even the states will do job creation tax credits, where if you create a job and hire someone from Kentucky, for example, as an employer in Kentucky, they'll give you a $10,000 tax credit. I will sort of caveat all this with, I know enough probably about the U.S. landscape to be dangerous, but I'm not an expert on it. And I do recommend that if you're looking at incentives for your U.S. business, that you seek someone who is an expert in that space. Because obviously with a very large federal government, there's a lot of opportunity there for either new programs to be developed at any time or for smaller things even to miss my radar. Do you know, I mean, looking all the way back to the growing forward, you said several years ago, what sort of ROI has Canada seen in all of this subsidization that it's done for the food industry? I think that it's been quite impactful. The list of wants from a winning project is not small. They're often looking not only for significant increases in productivity, but also job creation. They're looking for new to Canada technology, new to industry technology. And so businesses really have to have a pretty robust business case for a submission into some of these different programs. And some, of course, are tougher than others. So I would say that the ROI is fairly strong. The industry has been growing. We have seen positive movement in terms of some of these key metrics that were pointed out by Dominic Barton in terms of how much are we exporting, what is the rate of reinvestment and the adoption of technology in these businesses, how many jobs are they creating. But the exact numbers, I don't think anybody has that. Maybe on a program to program basis, you might see some impacts discussed, but it's been enough that year sort of after every single one of these five-year agreements, they've decided to go ahead and relaunch another five-year agreement. So it's obviously been good enough that they're feeling positive about continuing these large-scale investments because no other sector gets the level of attention that food and beverage and agriculture is getting. I would say that we've seen a lot of prospects come up to us and look for systems like what we provide here at Carlisle Technology just because they have access to these grants. And so systems like these would typically be out of reach for some of the smaller processors that we typically work with. But because of the government's investment in some of these smaller processors, they have the ability to fund these sort of projects that kind of get them into that next playing field, if you will. So they have access now to full electronic traceability systems that then open kind of the marketplace on who they can sell their products to. I mean, it's been really neat to see some of these small processors grow because they've been given access to something that they probably wouldn't have been given access to without these grants. Yeah, you're totally right. And for the small, medium-sized guys, which is Canada terms that as sort of under 500 employees, 
it's been really critical, I think, because a 100K grant might not make a difference to a larger several hundred million dollar type business. But those of us who are still growing smaller agri-food businesses, that 100K makes a huge difference and does allow you to bring in systems that help you compete and pass audits with customers like Costco and their key partners that really have helped a lot of businesses grow very rapidly. Yeah. And even with some of the medium processors we've seen that have kind of already made that jump from pen and paper traceability, now they're looking more to automating their systems and kind of streamlining their plant floor and becoming more efficient. And that growth is pretty key as well, too, to kind of keep up with some of the demand that's been placed on the food chain. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're pretty lucky here to have some of these tools. And I always know that with a food business, even if I don't have a program available today, it probably won't be long before I do have one available. So it's been a targeted sector and it's not without its challenges. Opening a food business, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of challenges, just like any other business and some unique to the sector, like I said, with traceability. But the amount of funding that has been provided to companies, I'm hopeful, will allow us to continue to see impacts to employment, to competitiveness, so that we can continue to bring our products to the global market. I couldn't agree more. Like both of you said, right, it really just provides the ability to take that small to medium-sized processor into the newer market, becoming able to have those requirements for suppliers like Walmart or Costco. So speaking of that, in Canada specifically, what sort of approaches have you seen the various provinces take when it comes to grant funding and applications? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it does vary by province. So with this Canadian Agricultural Partnership, this $3 billion in funding, I mean, that's a huge pool of funding. Every province then gets an amount that's really associated to them, I think, by their sort of population size. They match a portion of the dollars being given to them by the federal government, and then they create their own provincial Canadian Agricultural Partnership Program. So like I said, in Alberta, it's about $400 million. Uh, here in Ontario, it's about the same. BC, I believe, is in and around the 50 to $60 million mark and kind of varies by each province. And each one has been pretty unique in what they've delivered or created. So most of the time, this money is being managed by your Ministry of Agriculture. So here in Ontario, we've got the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, or OMAFRA. And OMAFRA is delivering the CAP program. They've got one of the biggest pools of funding along with Alberta. And I'd say they tend to run the most rigorous program that I've sort of seen with a lot of intake opportunities, a lot of subscription, a lot of applications being submitted. But they have focused on topics like helping improve your food safety and traceability systems, allowing you to be more productive by adopting digitization, robots, and different automation at all levels of the business. And they've also looked at helping companies market themselves and grow outside of the domestic market. And I would say that's pretty unique across Canada, but in Ontario and Alberta, they've probably developed one of the strongest programs with really clear focuses in those areas where other provinces might have slightly smaller programs or more targeted initiatives. Like in British Columbia, they took their money and made it very small, almost farm level focused programming. So there wasn't the same kind of opportunity. If I spoke with a meat processor in Ontario, I might be able to pull out three or four different programs 
programs where in BC, I may have only had like a 15 to 20K grant versus a 100K grant. And it really comes down to how your provinces decide to spend this money. I do note to any of my clients or people that I speak to are maybe unhappy with what's being developed in their region to always get connected in with your local Ministry of Agriculture and food just to chat with them and ensure that they understand what your business priorities are and needs are because they won't design better programs uh, without some input. But it really does vary. And the first place to start if you want to find out what's in your area is that Ministry of Agriculture in your region will likely be a good starting point. I mean, I would say from customers and prospects that come to us, vastly the majority of them are from Ontario that are looking for grant funding for projects with Carlisle Technology. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe one, maybe two over the last four or five years have been from other provinces. I can think of one that came from BC, but it really does go to show the different programs that are available in Ontario versus what's out there for some of the other provinces. And I don't know if you can answer this or not, but do you know kind of what's been the background behind how Ontario and OMAFRA have gone about developing their programs to make them so available for a wide variety of processors? Yeah, I can actually. I think there's a couple factors there. One is the OMAFRA, so the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, they have had a long partnership with business. They developed some pretty robust programs from the outset, but they've always had really good connections with industry. They designed a lot of good productive relationships with the University of Guelph. And so I've always had, I think, a good insight and a lot of good representation from industry associations in sort of their consultative sessions and in the development of these programs. So I think that's one element. It's always been a big program. So 400 million over five years is a lot of money. The one comment I would make about it is while we have been very good at creating really well-designed and well-communicated programs in the sense that a lot of people know about them. I will also note that a lot of people have gotten used to using them. And as a result of that, the programs are extremely competitive. So if you are applying in Ontario, I would note that the chance of approval, it can be tough, especially if you don't have a well-defined project or you're not really ready to submit. You can put a lot of effort in for a no because they do receive thousands of applications and sometimes only have funding for 50 to 200 of them. And so it can be a 10 to 15% approval rate. And I don't work for them, so I don't know if it's precisely that number, but from what I'm seeing, it can be a very tough intake. So adjust your expectations accordingly in the Ontario market. You can see a loss. It does happen. So speaking to that then, so how do we apply for these grants? Where can we find out what grants are available either in Canada or your province? Yeah, and it's tricky here because there are funds from the province and there are funds from the federal government and they are each looking at sort of different kinds of projects and they all have different eligibility roles. To shamelessly plug myself, I will say the best place to start is with our website at www.mentorworks, that's works with an S, dot C-A. I'm sure that will be shared wherever you're listening to this podcast, but our website does comprehensively list all the funding programs under sort of the agricultural and agri-food space, whether it's federal or provincial. And we're watched pretty carefully to make sure that information is up to date. So I welcome you to start there. 
And as I mentioned, the next best place to go is going to be your either the federal government's Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada or your provincial Ministry of Agriculture, whatever that's called. It'll change in each province to see what their programs are. And almost all of them are running the programs under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. So you can use that as a reference title. You can say Canadian Agricultural Partnership Alberta and do a Google search there and you should find some good results. Do note that that name, the CAP or this partnership goes until 2023 and then they'll probably give us a new name. So you'll have to search for it at that point. And in the United States, I would start with your local state economic development partners. So, for example, the state of Michigan has an economic development corporation for the entire state, and they offer some different programs as well as are the main resource that I've used when helping clients try and navigate funding in that market. I like MentorWorks' website a lot, actually. So when we get new processors, you know, from the local Ontario area or anywhere in Canada, typically I go and I look through your guys' website just because it is such a great resource on what grants are available. And the thing that I like the most about it is a lot of times if you go to any sort of government website, it's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo that I can't understand. And so I know when I go to MentorWorks' website, it's really easy to be able to kind of go through the table of all the different grants that are available and really actually understand what grants might be applicable to what certain projects are out there. I can, you know, no shameless plug. I think that it is a great resource out there for people who are looking for more information on funding opportunities. Yeah, and we also have it set up. If you go to our website, you have the option to sort it by industry and pull funding specific to agriculture or to food and beverage and just see some unique program lists. So we share a lot of that information openly. It's not hidden. The name is expressed directly there, but it's a good sort of centralized spot. And exactly you're right. Try and get away from the language in some of these application guides, which sometimes can lead you to believe that you're eligible and be really clear about what works and what doesn't in terms of those overviews. Because a lot of the time, if you didn't read the fine print on page 17 or something, you could end up doing a lot of work to find out later that you never had a chance. Absolutely. And I would say, speaking to that, what sort of success rate have you seen for processors that choose to use a company like MentorWorks to help with the application process? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of my conversations with clients will often start with just trying to get a sense of what they're trying to do, what their timelines are, and what their budget is, and where they are in the project process. So for example, if they're looking at doing a project with you guys, do they have a proposal yet? And what are their timing in terms of wanting to get that work done? And if we can find good alignment, I'm happy to recommend that they proceed. But I also often tell them, you know what, given your timing, you want to do this tomorrow, the government's slow, maybe there's no fit. But when we do see alignment, we leverage about an 86% success rate. So Half of that is gained from just saying no at the front end when you don't have a good fit. But the other half comes from building out really strong submissions that answer all the questions that have all the required components and are submitted on time. That's another big thing. We deal a lot with deadlines now. So if you're not in by September 2nd at 5 p.m., you missed your chance. 
I think that speaks a lot to your guys' ability to understand what the government is looking for in applications, though, and also kind of how prepared the processor is to submit a application that's going to be accepted. And so instead of just taking everything in and saying, yeah, we'll take it all, you kind of know right up front whether something has the potential to be successful or not. And so that speaks to your guys' kind of experience in writing these grant applications for the industry. I think it also speaks to the ability of choosing a company like Mentorworks instead of the processor trying to write the grant application on their own. I couldn't imagine, you know, being a small to medium-sized processor with all these different fires to put out and then having to have in the back of your mind that I have to have this deadline in for this application or it's essentially over and my funding for this project is gone. So there's so much value in having a company like Mentorworks basically walk you through the process when it comes to grant applications instead of, you know, trying to strap up your boots and do this on your own. Yeah. And I think one element of it, it comes down to, we can do that assessment up front and give you a good sense of whether or not it's a competitive submission, but then also pick your brain and present your project the way it's meant to be presented to government. Government speaks very differently than a processor might speak to their banks if they're trying to secure an investment there or to ownership or to even private equity. Because of that language difference, they can get themselves into trouble or miss big elements of what is required. And just by having us there to help sort of usher it together and pull those items sort of out of your head and then position it properly, because often what we're presenting is a business case for why you meet the merits of the program over someone else. And so that piece can be very difficult to put together if you've never written a submission before. A government grant is a bit of a special niche writing, and it's not something that everyone has exposure to. So that's a lot of the time why companies will choose to work with us. They'll literally say, I just don't know what words to use or how to present this. And the other reality is, is that the government asks for a lot of information. You're not getting away just submitting a quick proposal and here's why we should win and that's it. It's a big document in many cases. Some submissions might take six months for approval. They're going to do a full review of your financials. And they're not all like that. Some are much simpler and and accessible, but others can be really a challenge. And so if you're new to it, it is very frustrating to learn that process on a critical project when you are really counting on that support to help you move ahead. You talked a bit about Mentorworks having the 86% success rate. Why don't we shine a little bit of light on that other 14%? So where do you see most processors fail in the grant application process? So a couple of things that are pretty critical to winning are understanding that the government is looking for certain impacts. So for example, right now, post-COVID-19, we have a federal government, even though at the time of recording this, we're in an election. This federal government has committed to creating a million new jobs post-pandemic. So any application that goes in and says that they're going to be losing jobs or not adding a significant number of jobs is at a bit of a weaker footing than other applications. So job creation and not being able to even make a small commitment around that is going to be really hard to secure any funding, I expect, now and into the next few years from government because they're really looking at those numbers as a clear metric of their success. And part of how they help businesses achieve it is by giving them support. 
The other sort of pitfall is whether or not you're adopting technology that takes you to another level or just helps you rise to the same level of your competitors. Companies who apply to programs that emphasize innovation, but say are still looking to put in pen and paper traceability processes, for example, or who are not adopting the same level of automation that is standard in their sector. And we still see this because many companies struggle with investment. Those can also be very hard to defend. The easiest sort of pitfalls to avoid are to consider how projects fit strategically into your operations. If you, for example, invest in this new system and you secure business with Costco, you might need some new employees. So why don't we outline what that looks like instead of indicating that it would be zero? Or if we're looking at a project just to bring you up to speed with other businesses, what other important factors can we highlight? Or can we identify any other unique elements to your business? Um, maybe you have female leadership. Maybe you're located in a rural area. And maybe there are other benefits that could be highlighted. A lot of the time, different applications will have questions where you can answer elements around diversity or um, who makes up your employee base. And if you leave that blank, that's another opportunity missed. So common pitfalls just are that your application or your project um, is really just about catching up with industry. There's no job creation. I would say other elements are you're not ready for funding if you don't have a quote or a proposal or if you don't have your half of the money yet. So if you're looking to fund a project but you don't have a quote, you don't know who's giving you the equipment and you don't have how you're going to pay for your portion, you're probably too early to look at funding. And the last piece is consider your financial story. The government does want to contribute and invest in businesses that are growing. And again, if this is about holding you to your current numbers or maybe plugging a hole in a bit of a leaky boat, it can also be difficult to secure funding for a company like that. So Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about some best practices around applying for grants in Canada? Absolutely. I think a big part to understand is that funding should be part of your strategic plan. So companies who want to identify new equipment or investments on Friday and buy it on Monday are not going to be happy about their ability to access funding programs. So it's got to be in your strategic plans. And the companies who do the best at accessing funding usually connect with me on a quarterly basis to look at what they're buying and what might be out there. And sometimes I don't have an answer. There's just no programs or there's a delay or we've got an election going on. If you don't have it in your plan, if I don't know about it or if you don't know about it, when those opportunities do come up, they're often asking you to apply well in advance of your investment. And if you're not ready to even think about what a project might look like for you, you're going to be at a disadvantage. You're not going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. So for example, here in Ontario, on the 5th of August, the Ontario government opened an opportunity for funding that was closing September 2nd. So if you didn't already know what you might need help with, you were really scrambling to get a quote and a project identified in four weeks. And even our own clients, with our help, there were a number of them who said, I have to pass on this. I just can't pull it together that quickly. So having a good strategic plan and laying out what some of those investments might look like, even if you don't always know exactly what they're going to be 
or when they're going to happen is really important. And probably that should be done with the caveat, of course, that we can't do a million things in a year. We're probably all going to accomplish three to five major priorities in our business a year if we're really good and be realistic about what you can tackle. I know when we have a lot of processors come to us and they say, hey, look, we're looking for to get some grant funding for a traceability project. We really quickly need a quote for you that we can include in our application. It's a bit of a shocker because there's a lot that even goes into it on the quoting phase. And I think that a lot of processors don't realize that as well, too. When we quote on you know, traceability systems or MES systems or weighing systems, things like that, there's a lot of things that go into gathering requirements, understanding what sort of gap you're trying to fill with the technology. So that in itself can take quite a while. And so if that's something that needs to be happening before you even start applying for the grant, then there's got to be a lot of pre-planning that goes into this. It can't just be a spur of the moment, hey, it would be great to have a traceability system, fire me over a quote so I can get some funding. There's a lot of planning that goes into these projects. There is. And again, like if you don't know your business, you might be able to get a quote and get it ready and squeeze out an application. But the problem is, is that the first question someone like us is going to ask you or your staff member who's writing one of these submissions is, okay, what's the impact? How is this hurting us? Uh, How does it help us? And a lot of those details are exactly as you identified, you know, sort of understood in that assessment phase of a project. And it really weakens an application when we can't point to any good numbers or quantification around what your problems are. So if you have no idea if you have a waste or rework problem, or if you tend to have a lot of overages on your product that you're not catching because you don't have a check where, how can I quantify what the impact might be of the project? So clients who've got a good handle on their opportunities and who've thought about a project carefully, even if they pull a quote out at the last minute, they're often also really well prepared for submissions because you just ask them, okay, what's the issue? And they've got it. Bam, bam, bam. Here are my three problems that this helps me address. And that's a big element of what separates for us uh, good applications from weaker ones because we can help pull out some of those metrics. But when I'm pulling teeth to do so, it definitely makes it more challenging than, again, someone who's organized, aware, and able to articulate that. And you might be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be, but how many processors I have come back to me and say, hey, we're filling out this grant application. Can you tell me what benefits we'd get from your system? If you don't know why you're looking for a system, you know, let's say a traceability system, for example, then you're probably not ready for that sort of a system if you don't know what sort of benefits would come from it. Yeah, I am not surprised. by that. And it's it's not a bad thing. We're all doing a lot in our companies and our businesses and funding gets popped up on us out of the blue. But there's nothing that will beat good strategic planning and good owner awareness of the business challenges when you're doing these submissions. And sometimes it's just the right contact. And if I can, maybe one last best practice is if you, you know, have a big capital investment riding on this grant, the grant probably shouldn't be written by your food safety intern or someone who doesn't have that really good perspective and ownership of the success of your business. So the right person has to write your submission and often it ends up being someone who maybe doesn't have that perspective to really put forward the most compelling case. And that's a lot of money to place on that kind of um, approach. 
Absolutely. We covered a bit about the history of food funding, starting with that growing forward agreements, best practices. Alex, can you tell us about a successful grant application project that you were a part of? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm lucky I've got a few of them, but I'll give you maybe one client example that I have used before. But the reason I like it is because it shows the progression of a company from a small grant into larger submissions and how their business has grown over that. In Ontario, if you're in the meat industry, you might be familiar with the Stemler family and Stemler's Meats based out of Heidelberg and Waterloo. I started working with them a few years ago and first did a project with them to revitalize actually just a point of sale system in their retail facility. And from there, we kept that relationship growing. We got them, I think, a $16,000 grant, which really these days is not that much. But again, through this proactive relationship, they were always looking at new equipment and new opportunities to modernize and invest in the operations. And they were always really good at rising to the occasion and looking at what equipment needs they might have. And then once they got the equipment, established, I started working with them on some marketing opportunities and different business strategies to grow the business now that they had the assets to to meet different volumes and product capabilities. And actually, just recently, they became a federal facility. That's a client that really actively has pursued funding and always looked at everything, even when it came up out of the blue, and who's often been able to pull together projects. And I would say one of their opportunities there is because they're smaller, they're quite nimble. It was easy to meet with the three of them and get things sort of complete and fired off. I would also say that they're not an anomaly. So if you are listening to a story like this and thinking, you know, I don't know if I could actually access funding with any great success, they are a great company, but also have business challenges just like everyone else and manage to secure, I think we've done about 500 or 600,000 in funding with them now, starting with that small grant. That's someone who really bought into the process, bought into the mandate and this idea that they could grow with the support of these funds, even if sometimes the rules are a little annoying, you have to wait till you're approved, or you've got to get this first, or you got to scramble to get a quote, they always met that challenge, and it's paid off for them. No, that's great. That is a really cool story. I love to hear that. Where can our audience learn more about MentorWorks? Yeah, once again, I'd really recommend our website as a starting point. It has a lot of information. You can pull up very specific funding profiles for food and beverage or agricultural businesses. We run regular webinars on different funding programs and the funding landscape that are free and open to established businesses in Canada. So if you want to get a sense from a business perspective of what's out there, those are free. These days, we're used to listening to all sorts of things at home. And like I said, our website is mentorworks.ca. And if you look on that site, you can see one of the things we offer is our events and register there for free for those. And that's also just generally the best way to get in contact with us is through that system. Uh, We have a 1-800 number where a real person answers the phone and our website has a number of opportunities where you can just punch in a connection request and ask to get connected to one of us and one of our business development team members will connect with you to understand your business and also explain really clearly in our first conversation what kind of program opportunities might be out there for you. 
I'd say those consultations are probably invaluable to a lot of processors that are looking for grants and funding opportunities. Sometimes just speaking to a real person about that sort of thing is so helpful. The government doesn't necessarily have the full resources to do that. And so if you chat with us, uh, our business development team is very smart and very aware of these programs. And we've all worked with food companies. So we all have the ability to respond to requests and give that insight. And if we can't, we have a fantastic writing and operations team who um, are way, way smarter than I am and way better writers than I am. And they also give us a huge resource in terms of helping to assess a client's project because they go through these submissions and get all the questions from government and help clients answer them every single day. Oh, that's great. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And to all you food processors listening, highly recommend that you go over to MentorWorks and get in touch with their amazing team. Alex, just wanted to thank you again for being on the podcast with us. We really enjoyed having you and we look forward to continually working with you here at Carlisle Technology. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Alex.